there. This is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love to talk to creative people about what they do, why they do it, how they hang in there through all the ups and downs. And today my guest is a filmmaker named Billy Luther. He's the writer and director of a movie called Fry Bread Face and Me. It's a delightful coming-of-age story set on the Navajo Indian Reservation in northern Arizona, near where I grew up. I love the movie. It's funny. It's charming. It's got heart. And I was really excited to talk to Billy. But before we get to that, I want to remind you that this podcast, Dennis Anyone, is brought to you by Calgon. Calgon? No, it's not. I don't have any sponsors. It's just me. I do it. I do it because I love it. Uh, But you can support it in two ways. You can go to DennisAnyone.net and leave a tip in my virtual tip jar. Help me cover my expenses. Or I would love it if you considered becoming a subscriber to DNR Studios. I'm part of a group of shows under the DNR banner. And for a monthly fee, you get my show early and you get all these other great shows. So you can learn about that at DNRStudios.com. All right, enough of the plugs. Here now is the interview with Billy Luther. Joining me now from Los Angeles, it's filmmaker Billy Luther. His movie is Fry Bread Face and Me, and it's a delight. So um, congratulations. So how would you describe this movie to someone that knows nothing about it? Fry Bread Face and Me is a coming-of-age story set on the Navajo Nation. And, you know, this 11-year-old kid who grows up in San Diego, you know, he's, he's an urban Indian, I guess you could say. You know, it's dropped off you know, for maybe one of his first times on the Navajo Res. And it's kind of like a fish out of water story set in 1990. And he meets his cousin, Frybrick Face, and she's completely traditional. So it's two worlds colliding. Um, and they're both, you know, having stuck there for the summer on their grandmother's ranch. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we ever saw the food fry bread in the movie, do we? Because I grew up eating it, and I was like, I can't wait to see that fry bread. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know, you don't. Um, and so delicious. You know, I just, I know. Uh, it's probably just, has a million calories. Probably has a million a calories. Lot. Yeah, you know those. <laughs> you know, fry bread isn't a traditional food. You know, fry bread is. You know, was kind of. Uh, was our rations that we had, you know, most natives, you know, we, they were, we were given flour, lard, and we just had to come up with something. So it's not a traditional food. It's more of like a, you know, uh, a contemporary, you know, piece of, 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 of food that we made something out of it. <laughs> well, it's delicious. Uh, so you, um, had an experience similar to what happens in the movie. Can you talk a little bit about your experience or, or how much of, you was in this movie in terms of what happens. Yeah, you know, the best thing about um, this film, and I think the, the story that I tell was really kind of diving deep into my personal experience and memory. Um, I remember being 11 and trying to figure out who I was. And especially being in the 90s, you know, I played with G.I. Joe dolls and played soap opera with them. And yeah, that's kind of it's how, very cute. <laughs> those scenes are so cute. I related so much because I wanted to play with my sister's Barbies, but I knew it was shameful. I knew it was bad. So I couldn't. I didn't. I, you know, it's weird, the messages we get. But yeah, I related totally. to the action figure soap opera uh, milieu. Yeah, you're hiding it, right? You're hiding yeah. it. You're, and you're, then you're playing war when somebody walks in the door. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I feel, you know, this is kind of, you know, semi-autobiographical. You know, it's not 100% my story. Um, of course I had to create conflict and drama, you know, as, as a, as a, you know, screenplay as a script. So I had fun playing with it and it just really kind of, you know, 
I had to, like I said, I had to go into my family's kind of history. And, and, and I, I realized, you know, now that I'm on this festival tour, um, it resonates with um, natives a lot and uh, non-natives too, you know. It seems like the kind of experience that when you look back, you appreciate it. But do you remember appreciating it at the time, maybe at the end of the summer or, or, or was it like later where you, where you came to take it more into your heart, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. You know, as you're growing up, you know, growing up and you're that age, 11, you're, you know, it's, it's, you're just questioning a lot. And I, I remember the uncomfortable feeling that I had at times, you know, being, wanting to be who I was, but also exploring myself in, 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 in different ways. Um, and then, you know, I, I just, as I, as you grow older, you start to, things start to make sense. You know, you understand more and more about family dynamics and, you know, the history that your, you know, your, the older, you know, your aunts and uncles had, your parents had. So I think, you know, being in my forties now, I'm starting to understand and also having kids really kind of uh, brought me, you know, to that kind of realization. Um, and in the film also, you know, Benny understands he, he's looking back, you know, it's, it's, um, narrated a bit by, you know, older Benny. And just kind of exploring this world of looking back. And I think that there's so many great films that do that. And, um, you know, Stand By Me sticks out, um, that you kind of look back in your childhood and, and, and as you grow older, things start to make sense. Now that's you doing the voiceover as the older Benny. Is that right? Yes, it is. You know, we, we, we cast somebody to use the VO and it did it quite feel right you know there wasn't an emphasis on certain um uh, situations and and memories that i really wanted and and so a lot of what you hear in the film was you know scratch (laughs) scratch recording that i went in and just said hey let's try this and it's it's i think it works it does work actually It, it really connects it and what did it feel like to do that and to see it with your voice yeah, you know, I, I just, it's really strange, you know, um, it's weird because I lived, you know, most of the, of the story, you know, um, gives an audience on the big screen. And I think that, you know, watching it in, in a theater with, uh, an audience was really kind of life changing for me. It felt like a release. And, you know, the story is so personal. You know, there's also my home movies in the film too that bookend the story. Yeah. So I, I just, it just, and I think that's what a lot of my, you know, my, my backgrounds in documentary. And I think I just brought some of those, you know, elements into this film. Making the transition from documentary to narrative, what, what did you love about narrative? What were you like? Oh, this, I'm into this. Yeah. You know, with uh, documentaries, um, you kind of go with the flow. You know, you just follow your subject and you just don't know what's going to happen. And I think, you know, I always liked the story structure. You know, I, I started out as writing and kind of fell into documentary, so it wasn't planned. But um, I just like the beginning, middle, and ends of, of stories and, and, you know, screenwriting. Um, and, but the transition was pretty, you know, easy, you know, it was seamless, I should say. Being on set, you know, we were a very low-budget film, so I understood that in, docu- you know, documentaries. You're, you know, really yeah, you're used budget. to that. Yeah. And then also too with grandma, you know, the grandmother was a non-actor. All, all of them were non-actors, but specifically grandmother in the, in the film, following her like as a documentary, being a fly on the wall. So as you watch the film, you'll see this kind of we're immersed in her world and we're following her. And I, I just, you know, told my camera crew, let's follow her like almost like a documentary. And I think those scenes really come out and, and stick with you. 
the connection between Benny and the grandmother is so beautiful and they don't speak the same language, but they have a connection. Is that something you felt as well when you spent time with your grandmother? Yeah. Speaking Navajo, you know, I, I'm three tribes. I'm Navajo, Hopi, and Laguna Pueblo. So my mother is full Navajo and my father is uh, Hopi and Laguna. So I didn't have that you know, that experience of having the Navajo in, in my house, you know, grow in, in San Diego, but I would go back to the reservation and, and not be able to communicate verbally with my grandmother. So there was always somebody there, you know, my aunts and uncles, you know, translating for me. And that, you know, carried on until, you know, the end of her life. And, you know, even though we didn't have a spoken connection and relationship like that, um, it was very physical and, um, there was just so much love that, you know, words, Navajo or English couldn't, you know, translate. So I felt that I really wanted to connect that in the film and, you know, Benny, Benny leaves a you know, much stronger person because he had that summer and experienced her, her love, you know, even though they didn't have the um, verbal connection. And her wisdom, it was something very wise. It felt like she knew how to live, knew how to be in the world. Um, the weaving was beautiful. Um, she just has this presence that's really special. Um, speaking of, the kids are amazing. You have the two kids that play Benny and Fry Breadface. They're so special. How did you find them? And were you worried that if you didn't find the right kids, you wouldn't be able to pull it off? Yeah, you know, that's always, you know, a worry when you're casting. You're like, gosh, I wrote this character and they probably won't bring it, you know. Um we had a wonderful casting director, Angelique Midthunder, and she cast Reservation Dogs. And she, you know, was able to find these two, two kids. And, you know, because she's worked with a lot of, um, native, um, kids, you know, casting and, and she's seen a lot of, um, auditions come her way. So she sent me, you know, the, uh, Charlie Hogan's tape, you know, who plays Frybread and, it was her. We just knew it was her. She had this confidence about her. And we were like, this is say no more. We're, you know, let's not really look anymore because we're going to spend energy finding, you know, who's going to play Benny. Right. And there was something really special about Kier. You know, Kier was at this age where he was still figuring himself out in a really cool way that really connected me to him. And, you know, he was quiet, shy, and was raised by a single mom. Um, and it just really, uh, it was him, you know, it was, it, Benny was him. And even though I wrote the character specifically, I let the two, you know, the uh, Benny and uh, Fry really take the role and let see what they did with it. And it was beyond my expectations. It was almost better than what I wrote. I love the scene where they're dancing. Can you talk a little bit about what that was like to shoot? Oh, with the, when the kids dance, you know, that was, um, a memory that I had. Um, my grandmother's skirts would be, you know, on the line, you know, drying, um, after she washed. And I remember my cousin and I just went out and just, you know, took them off the line and, um, just started dancing in them. And yeah, it was just this freedom. And there was no, like I said, there was no judgment with my cousin or my grandmother. And, it was just a fun time of innocence. And I think that scene, you know, resonates with so many. And that's, you know, they love that scene. It's memorable. I love the pop culture touchstones in the movie. Stevie Nicks and Fleetwood Mac. I take it you're a fan. I am, but I wasn't assess, obsessed as Benny was. I yeah, he's really you know, into it. Yeah, you know, I just really wanted something that, you know, Benny, you know, has this connection to this band and, 
I, you know, and I, and I love the fact that, you know, Stevie Nicks is, you know, considered by some, you know, a witch. So it was just fun to play with that. Um, and then also Starman, Starman makes a cameo too. And that was a film that I watched over and over and just little things that you put in that, you know, just makes it grounded and, and feel authentic. When I was growing up in northern Arizona, they shot Starman near my town. So it was all the buzz for a while. Like it was like, they're shooting Starman. Are they going to use our house? Are they like, what's happening? Did you see the movie stars? Like it was a big deal when Starman came to town when I was in high school. So when I saw that that was like the one VHS they had in the house, I was like, that makes sense. Uh, it resonates for me. For well, sure. well, I didn't tell you. I was born and I also graduated high school in Winslow, Arizona. And that is where Starman was. Films. Yes, I remember. So we're neighbors. <laughs> uh, Holbrook was a little jealous of Winslow. Also, there's a shot of Winslow in the movie, but I understand you shot in New Mexico. This is very inside Arizona baseball for me. But did you shoot in Winslow, or did you cheat that and 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 make New Mexico look like Winslow? Uh, yeah, we 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 did cheat it. You know, yeah. we just had that drive by of, um, and that that shot was done when we were location scouting. Um, so it made it in the final film. Um, but we filmed everything in New Mexico. And we found the training post that was going to be Winslow. And yeah, you just kind of make things up as you go when you're filming. And, you know, and like I said, the, we didn't film in the Navajo, you know, reservation. So we had to make something up in the middle of nowhere to make it look like the res. So yeah, lots of things in there are filmed, not in the place that you think they were. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it felt real to me and I grew up in that area. I, the thing I miss most about Arizona is the skies. I love the sky. Do you relate to that? Is that something you connect to or is that just, yeah. I think? Well, you know, um, in the film, there's this, um, beautiful shot of in Arizona of Flagstaff, the mountain, you know, which was one of our, um, sacred mountains in, in Navajo culture. And it was a sunset and it was just really beautiful. And I wanted to include that in the film just because also I grew up in Winslow and that was the view I saw, you know, growing up. So yeah, the, the, the sky in, in, in Arizona is just so, I, just so unique. You know, I, my grandmother lives in Northern Arizona, like North, North, like by, um, Kienta. Yeah. And the sunsets, the sunrise are just incredible up there. And yeah, you just, ah, I miss it. I miss it. I used to do like speech and drama tournaments against Winslow. Were you ever in that world? Did you do like choir or, uh, acting or any of that stuff? I was. Um, class president. I was thinking two years in a row, junior. There you were. That was well it. done. Yeah. I yeah. know. You ruled the school. I ruled the school and yeah, I loved it. I loved ruling the school. Yeah. <laughs> There's another character in your movie, Aunt Lucy, that I love, um, played by a wonderful actress. Did you, and she sort of sees, uh, Benny for, for who Benny is and, and sort of, Gives him a lot of like grace. Um, can you, did you have something like that in your life? Talk to me about Lucy. Yeah. Well, first off, um, Kahara Hodges, who plays Lucy, um, is, this is her first role. And I thought she just killed it. She, she's gorgeous too. She, the camera gorgeous. loves her. She's fabulous. Yeah. yeah. And that was how I looked up to my aunties. You know, there were, my aunties were just beautiful women. And I, I, I just wanted the kids to really kind of fall in love with this character, this, their aunt. And, I just, yeah, she was perfect. She was perfect for the role. And she just brings this love and gentleness to the kids, no judgment and, and supportive and really loves them. And I, I, I really just, I, I lucked out with finding someone so beautiful inside and out and she rocks that role. 
As a documentarian coming into this world, were there times when you're like, oh, I get to go talk to the actors? Did you ever have to remind yourself, like, oh, I don't just observe. I, I, I am a part of this, or was that a natural switch and you, you got on board with it? Yeah, it was natural. You know, I, I, you know, in, in documentaries, you know, you wish something would happen and you're like, oh, right. maybe this isn't going to happen. And so you have no con- really control over it. Right. Um, but with, you know, with, with film, you know, I, um, sometimes a mistake would, you know, would be great and it would end it up in the film. Um, but yeah, just, you know, first time actors, um, Martin Sensmar, who plays Uncle Marvin, you know, he's, he's been in many roles and I wanted to give him something, you know, really different than he's played in the past. So he was great and he really helped the kids, you know, in their performances, in their scenes and, yeah, they, they really trusted him, the kids. And, um, I really loved that energy that they brought. So yeah, the kids just, you know, went with it and I went along with them kind of like a documentary, but you know, I just, I didn't, you know, force them to do anything really. It was, it was just pure, you know, innocence and, and bam. I love it. Um, I love that there's Wranglers in this movie, Wrangler jeans. Cause I, that's a thing from my childhood. I remember like the men are in Wranglers, which is mm-hmm. a very specific silhouette. You gotta love it. <laughs> Costume department, I tell you, we had, we had Navajos in every department, camera, art department, uh, wardrobe, hair and makeup. People knew this world. You know, these are the, the, the crew that knew this world. So we, we didn't really have to try hard because we knew what this world looked like and this time, this era. So it just became a really uh, natural thing that, you know, pops up on screen. And I think people are looking at certain things in, in, the, in the film and going, oh, yeah, I remember that. You know, so it's pretty cool. There's a Cabbage Patch doll in it or a semi Cabbage Patch doll. But I remember also when that was the craze and I had to go hunt all over town to get Cabbage Patch dolls for my nieces. Where did that idea come from as being part of the movie? Yeah, I wanted one so bad when I was little. I, I just, I, you know, they were ripped off the shelves. And, you know, my mother was always like, you know, we can't get one, not because, you know, uh, for, you know, me being a boy, but just because it was expensive, you know. Um, and we couldn't find them on the shelves anyways. You couldn't so get them. You really no, were like running all over. Yeah. Right. Um, we didn't have Amazon back there. So you had to go to the store and rip them off and fight. But my mom, you know, I, she knew how much I wanted one. So she sewed a body. She found this kind of like this simplicity pattern for, you know, making dolls. And she made one and, and, um, you know, she bought a head, I guess, at the, at the sewing, you know, store. She found this head. And so she was able to make a pretty cool doll for me. And you loved it. I loved it, but the head kept falling off and my brother would get, you know, mad at me and he would rip it off and throw it across the room, hide it. So that trauma turned into something funny later in my life. So I just use it in the film. <laughs> it's very funny in the film, that recurring, that recurring theme for sure. Um, there's some really interesting people involved behind the scenes. Uh, Taika Waititi is one of the producers and I understand you guys go way back. Is that right? Taika and I go back about 20 years. You know, we, uh, met at Sundance, the Sundance Film Festival. And he just, uh, you know, we were just trying to make our films at the time. And, you know, and now here we are, you know, 20 years later working. Um, but he's been a friend, like I said. And, you know, it's kind of hard when you have friends who, who've, you know, who are pretty successful. And you're like, here, can you read my script? <laughs> yeah, they're winning um, but, Oscars and stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he took the time, read it, and he was, you know, able to come on board. And his support meant everything. And, 
you know, it just brought, you know, shed a light on to this project in early development. And, um, yeah, it's just really, really great. And, you know, he just, you know, read the script, gave notes and watched the cut, gave notes. So it's kind of a pretty easy job to be an EP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Does he seem like the same guy he, he was when you met him? Always. He's always, you know, how I met him was I was volunteering at Sundance Film Festival. And he had a short film there. Right. And we had the same um, Nokia phones and he asked if they can borrow my charger. And um, I didn't think I was going to get it back, but, you know, I let him, ha- you know, borrow it. And a couple hours later, he brought it back and he was like, what are you doing tonight? So that's how he, you know, formed our relationship and brotherhood and our families, you know, know each other. Our kids, you know, are really close. And so if I have any advice for any aspiring filmmaker is if anybody asks for a phone charger, let them borrow it. Let them borrow your phone charger. It's uh, very cool. And you're involved with Ava du- DuVernay's company as well. They're they're putting this out. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I, it's it's pretty shocking that I have Ava and Taika, you know, supporting Yeah, the film. coolest people in the industry. Right. You no, know, Ava, um, Ava has a, um, a distribution company, Array. Right. And yeah, they acquired after uh, Toronto Film Festival. And... They're putting it limited release, um, November 24th, the day after Turkey Day. And right. it's going to also be on Netflix that same day. So it's exciting to, you know, take the world out and, you know, into the U.S. and, uh, see what happens. I think, you know, people are really responding to it. You know, the trailer just released yesterday and it's been shared thousands of times. So it's exciting. It's exciting. November 24th, Netflix. There it is. Um, what's it been like to show the film to audiences? I'm sure have people in your family seen it? Uh, people on the reservation? Like, what has it been like to share the film? The response I've gotten from my family has been pretty positive. You know, they, they just, I mean, it's as a young age, you know, I knew I wanted to be a filmmaker. So to have their, you know, have me, you know, present a film that, you know, is about kind of family and, you know, it hit them and, they saw a lot of, you know, their, their story up on the screen just as much as mine. So I think it's healing. I think it's a very healing process because, you know, there's, there's, a, you know, there's trauma in your family in, 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 in different ways. And I think this film is very healing and cathartic and, and it just, you know, brought, I think my parents and I closer and um, the non-native audience, you know, what I've been going around with the festival um, screenings, it's just been pretty, pretty pretty great. I mean, people see different things, even if they're non-native in, in the film and the story that connects with them. And that's pretty cool to have that um, connection with, um, you know, an audience that's native and non-native. Are there specific reactions that you remember from screenings, individuals that came up to you? Yeah, you know, um, one of the um, memorable um, times that I had was at South by Southwest. There was a native woman who came up to me and you know, she was on the verge of tears just saying, we didn't have this growing up. We didn't have this representation growing up. And especially something with humor, you know, and she was just touched. And she said, this is going to, you know, this is going to be life changing for some kid on the res or off the res, you know, from some native kid that's going to see themselves and felt, you know, they're just going to see themselves. And that connected with me because growing up, I think that's probably one of the reasons why I wanted to be a filmmaker was because I didn't see the representation on um, screen, on the big screen or on television. So I, you know, that wasn't my attention going in, 
um, to making this film, but, you know, seeing the response and hearing those stories really connect. And I'm so proud to, you know, have this come out next week and, and having a younger audience, younger generation see themselves. Um, I saw that you had gone through the Sundance workshop with this, with this script and this, this film. Is that right? Yeah, the Sundance Labs, um, Sundance Institute has a writer's uh, screenwriting lab and a director's lab. And I did all those during the pandemic. So it was all done on Zoom. Which It was all Zoom because I always thought Zoom. you would go to Redford's house and you're up in the mountains. No, it's not. It wasn't that. That's That was supposed to happen. <laughs> but um, we got the short end of the stick, our, our class of 2020. And um, so all of us had to do it on Zoom. And, you know, the great thing about that was there was about 10 of us during those labs and Nikki Yatu just who did uh, Nanny, which has been on, um, on you know, was released in 2021. And, and also uh, Charlotte Wells did, uh, gosh, she did that film, I already forgot. But anyhow, we, there were some really great people in that. And we just connected because, you know, we were cut off from the outside world. We're all living in our homes. And we just workshopped our, our and, and I think that really helped. We were focused, you know, we weren't out and about. We were, everyone was locked in at home. So we really had time to develop our stories. And I just, you know, spent a year working on my script and um, yeah, here we are. Well, also going through something like that kind of bonds you and you can follow each other throughout your careers and, and help each other. And like, it's like kind of having this shared experience that you can build on. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, you know, those are the great um experiences that you go through in in workshopping your 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 film and 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 developing it. You know, I think that that was something that was new to me just in terms of, you know, being working in documentaries. Um yeah, you do research in your documentaries and then you try to prepare as much as you can, but you don't necessarily know how your film usually is going to end, you know, your docs. Um but this one, you know, I workshopped it, but I knew my ending, you know, when I started writing and I just kind of worked backwards in the story. And that, you know, like I said, I think that just, you know, was why I, I wanted to go into writing because I love the process. I love being challenged. And um, yeah, the story just flowed out of me. Uh, the kids talk about Shamu, the, the whale at SeaWorld that was such a celebrity during that period of time. Like everyone was it really captured. Everyone was talking about Shamu, wanted to meet Shamu or see Shamu. Did you do that? Did you go to SeaWorld and see Shamu? Yeah, we had annual passes and yes. we would go there every, every, almost every weekend. They were, you know, my friends, like, that was just kind of our playground. Our parents would just drop us off, drop, drop us off. And, you know, it was a different time period. And, and, you know, I would never do that with my kids, drop them off at a amusement park. But, um, yeah, I went many times and never met Shamu, but, uh, yeah, I just saw the show you know, hundreds and hundreds of times. Uh, did you keep any favorite souvenirs from the shoot? Um, no, you know why? Cause we're, they're all my parents' storage. You know, a lot of those. They were all your, it were, was all your stuff yeah. anyway. Yeah, yeah. The GI Joe, the GI Joes were the actual GI Joes that I played with as a kid. So we just went in and dove into my parents' storage and yeah. Just, Boom. There you are. That's yeah. your prop department. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Um, why do you make movies? Why does it call to you? Um, you know, I just, I, I would not do anything else. Uh, this is what I wanted to do from an early age. Um, I'm not, you know, trying to put this down, but I just didn't want to work, you know, nine to five job, you know, behind a desk. You know, I just thought, you know, I wanted to do something creative, artful. And I just, 
yeah, I thank God, knock on wood, I've not had a nine to five job in terms of behind a desk. Um, I waited a lot of tables, you know, you do that as an artist. Um, but yeah, like I said, I'm not trying to put the, that kind of job down, but I just knew that I wanted to create and write. And um, now I'm getting paid for it. it took a long time. <laughs> yeah, but you made it. Like, what kept you going during your 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 slower times? What kept you believing? Um, I just, I, you know, I would, I don't know. I, I, you know, I just watched a lot of movies, you know, and I just get inspired by other people's art. And I just, you know, I just, I just knew I had a story to tell. I would see something that would blow me away. And then I'd be like, oh my God, I would, I want it. So I just kept, I just kept going and I just never gave up, gave up. It was, it's just something I wanted to do. And yeah, you just never give up. I just had this clear focus of, of what my, my world was going to be like, but I just, you know, now I'm, you know, working and I, and I love the place I'm in and I'm working for TV as well. I write and direct for a show called dark winds. It's on AMC. Yeah. I saw that. How has that been? Yeah. What's that it's been, been like? Cool. Yeah. It's been, it's been great. You know, it's, we're going into our third season and we're really, you know, these, these, uh, the, the show is based on this Tony Hillerman novels. So it's been, you know, it's been pretty cool because, you know, what our writer's room has a lot of native first season. We had, it was all native writer's room and that's pretty rare. You know, I think the only television show that had that was reservation dogs. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I just, I just love, I love it. I, you know, I love throwing ideas and I get paid for it. I, you know, we're six of us in a room Monday through Friday and I, we just throw ideas out and that's, you make believe and that's just, I mean, it's so, so cool that, you know, I do that. Are you guys in person now? Or are you still doing stuff over Zoom? We're doing stuff over Zoom just because of the strike. We didn't know when the strike was going to end, the yeah. writer strike. So when the strike ended, we were just right back into it. So um, we're going to be uh, right now to the end of the year. We're on Zoom, but in January, we're going to be in person. So that is going to be interesting because it's going to be my first time. All my, all my, you know, television experience has been through zoom because of the pandemic, but now we're going to be in person. So that's, I can't be texting now during the, yeah, <laughs> yeah but you get to, they get to order lunches from places. That's always fun. Yeah, the menu goes that's around. always great. Yeah. Yes, always, feel always like it order is. the salad. Always yeah. order the salad. Yeah. <laughs> that's why you're successful. You always order the salad. Right. That's, right. that's a good rule. Um, <laughs> I grew up in Holbrook near Winslow and then we had the Roxy theater and I have so many memories of going to the movies there. Did you, there was a Winslow theater, right? Where did you go to the yeah. movies? Yeah. Yeah. Winslow had a theater, but I remember going to the Holbrook theater and seeing young guns and um, young guns at the that? Holbrook theater, the Roxy mm-hmm. theater. Yeah. I still, whenever I go visit, if it's open, I go to the movies and boy, it's, yeah. it's not the, uh, it's not the arc light. Um, but you know yeah. what? It's, it really captured my imagination when I was a kid. I loved going, even though my parents never wanted to go. I never saw a single movie with my family. Um, what did your family think of your pursuits, your, your wanting to do this? Well, the, the, the funny thing is, you know, I told them at a very early age, I wanted to go into, you know, filmmaking and, uh, they never heard of, you know, a native American director or writer, you know? So it was just like, okay. I mean, it wasn't like they weren't supportive that they were like, okay, but here's, you know, an application. Cause my parents both worked for the railroad Santa Fe at the time. Right. You know that. And, um, 
yeah, they handed me um, applications and say, hey, you should try it because my family's, you know, all go, you know, my grandfather, my grandmother worked for my, on the Laguna side worked for the Santa Fe. But it's just something I didn't want to do. I just want to pursue it. So after graduation, after I graduated from Winslow, I moved to Chicago and started film school. And and then they started kind of getting, oh, he's serious about this. And my guest, Miss Navajo, which, you know, came out in 2007, you know, changed their mind because it was like, oh, you're premiering at the Sundance Film Festival. So it was pretty cool to show them, you know, that all my hard work, all their money that went into film school paid off. Yeah, it, it, it's all happening. And now and now you're making these other movies. It's amazing. Right. Um, yep. When you look back on the experience of making and sharing uh, Fry Bread Face and Me with the world, what's one memory that you will always remember? Um, yeah, there's, there's um, a couple, but um, there was this moment that I remember was, um, you know, we were running and gunning a few times and, it was, it was, uh, we were filming in uh, New Mexico. I didn't know we were going to be filming during the monsoon and, and their monsoon soon monsoon season is during the summer. Um, and there was no light. There was no, um, sun and, um, it'd been cloudy all day. And then the clouds started to part and, um, the seat of the sun as it was going down was peaking. And that's when we just grabbed the camera and the crew. We were filming something and or we're setting up for something. We just ran and there's a scene where grandma is washing Betty's hair. And that moment and the lighting of that is just so special. And it just brought me back to what my grandmother would do when I would come and visit her for the, you know, uh, it, it just was really special. And, and it wasn't really any acting, you know, she, grandmother was just telling him, you know, a story and it was just so, so special. So whenever I see that scene, I just kind of get goosebumps because I just remember what it took to get that. That moment and that moment of grace where you felt like, oh, it all came together after all. Um, right, right. And Benny has that long hair. Did you have long hair when you were a kid? Um, when I was younger, I think when I turned two or three, they cut, you know. Um, I just never, I, I just never, I have a cowlick, so um, maybe I should grow it out. But um, yeah, I, I, you know, I just, I didn't, I didn't, you know. Uh, I related to him because there's a, a, a moment where somebody's like, are you a little boy? Are you a little girl? Like he has some, there's some gender, uh, questions around him. And I had that when I was a kid for a period of time, I would get asked, are you a little boy or a little girl? I'm sure I was, you know, my mannerisms. And it just really took me back to that moment. Cause as a kid, you right. don't know, you're so innocent. You're so naive. And yeah. I remember this guy at a carnival asking me that and it, how horrible it felt. I'm right. not sure why. Like, I don't know. So those moments, um, that aspect of the story, I, I, I really, uh, related to. And, uh, why was that important for you to include? Um, well, that's part of me. That was my experience. And, you know, I, I don't hit people over the head with the gender theme that's in, in the film. I think it comes off on screen without telling or talking about it. And it was really a, uh, an experience that I had. And, you know, I really wanted to show kind of the, the love and support that I had with the women in my life, uh, my grandmother, my aunts and my mother. And, you know, I just naturally it just, you know, came out when I was writing the story. And I just remember being asked those questions, not just from, you know, my uncles, but, you know, at school, you know, yeah. in public and yeah, those moments to stick with you, you know, and I just felt that I needed to tell that that story, that part of the story and, you know, Benny's experience. And 
I think it just, it works in terms of going deeper into who he is. Yeah. And also the, the grace of the women around him that, that let uh-huh. him be who he is. And I think that's really touching. That really moved me a lot. You're on Netflix. What does it mean to be on Netflix? Like the bomb, you know, the Netflix of it all. Do they send you like yeah. gift baskets? Cause as, well, a, as an entertainment writer, I get a box every day from Netflix oh, and I'm well, like, oh man, with just some, yeah, with, well, they're just like promotional materials, but let's just yeah. say they, uh, they spare no expense, but it's nice, yeah. right? Hopefully, hopefully next week. But you know, I, I don't, you know, I haven't, I haven't yet, but it's one of those, um, I can't tell you how blessed I am and, and fortunate to have this film be on Netflix. Um, it's because of Ava, you know, and, and Array. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, this is, this is home for it. So I can't wait for everyone to see it. Yeah, just so many people at the same time all around the world. Um, how did you connect with Ava? And what have your interactions been like with her? Um, She's impressive. I, I think I would be intimidated. I've known Ava for a few years. I don't know her no, in terms of like, I can sit here with her, have coffee with her, but yeah. Um, her, you know, Array is a dis- distribution company that kind of like finds, you know, films and, and smaller films and brings them to, you know, a broader audience like Netflix. So, um, yeah, we just, as we were, you know, making the festival rounds, you know, they, they, they got a hold of it and, um, they wanted it. So it was pretty, pretty surprising and, but also exciting. Well, it's going to be fun over Thanksgiving weekend knowing, that so many people are watching your movie all all over. Congrats. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right. It's fun talking to you. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. Thanks again to Billy Luther. Check out his movie, Fry Bread Face and Me, in select theaters and on Netflix. All right. So this happened. I went to Palm Springs um, a couple weeks back for a special screening of a short film that I worked on with Nadia Ginsburg and Glenn Gaylord called If We Took a Holiday. It's Madonna-themed, which is very of the moment. Uh, We made it about 10 years ago, and it was part of a lineup of shorts called Do These Shorts Make Me Look Gay? Uh, It was done through a a pair of guys called the Filmmakers Gallery. Paul and Steven have this this organization called the Filmmakers Gallery, and they show cool stuff by uh, LGBTQ people, or maybe everybody. They just show fun stuff. Um, And so I went, um, and it was really fun to be there. The other filmmakers were really cool. Craig Chester was on the panel. Um, Cameron Thrower, who I also know. Emrys Cooper. Um, It was fun. And it was wild to see the movie on the big screen. I hadn't looked at it. We made it 10 years ago. So it had been a while. But I think what really struck me was all the friends that helped. Like, oh, there's so-and-so in the background. Oh, Brett let us use his car. Oh, Brett let us use his house. Oh, there's my friend Thing. Oh, there's Zade as the DJ. Like, it was just all of these people who were still in my life showing up to help out and to help us make this thing. Um, that was really touching about it. And there was a moment at the Q&A that I'm really proud of. I, I don't know why it feels so evocative or meaningful, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spell it out for you. It's dumb, but memorable. So after the Q&A, uh, Terry Ray did the, did the little Q&A afterwards, and there was a question from the audience. Uh, did any of us have to deal with COVID restrictions while we were shooting? And Cameron Thrower, who has the most recent film, I think, said that they actually shot their movie after COVID, so it wasn't really a big deal um, more recently. I mean, not totally after COVID. It's still out there, but um, it wasn't a huge issue for them. And then um, Craig Chester, he shot his the movie, I think it's called Call Your Father, 
something like that. It's so good. He's so good in it. Anyway, he he made a joke. Um, he was like something like, um, a number of our people had to deal with the Spanish flu or some something. He made it was funny, and I literally reached over to him and grabbed the mic. I didn't have a mic in my hand, and I pulled it up to my mouth and I said, "And a couple people on our crew got boogie fever." I don't know why I thought that was so funny. It's so dumb. It's like a reference to a 70s disco song. Well, luckily the audience there was old enough to get it. But there was just something I I remember thinking, I am going to reach over and take that mic and I'm going to say this thing about boogie fever to this room of strangers who I can't see because the lights are blinding. And I'm just going to, it's either going to land or it's not, but I'm really determined to say the boogie fever joke. And then Greg teased me. He's like, you reached all the way over here for the mic for that. Anyway, it was it's a moment that will tickle me forever. Uh, I don't know. It says something deep about me that I needed to do that. Um, but it was, a, it was a fun time. And um, we appreciate uh, being invited to be part of it. So um, there's that. And the movie's still on YouTube if you want to check it out, if you never have seen it. It's called If We Took a Holiday. I'm really proud of it. Nadia's amazing in it. And um, it was just a... People always say it's a labor of love, but it was. So there's that. All right, before I let you go, I want to mention you don't know my life.com. That's my side business, the virtual game nights that I host. Also, it's a box game. You can buy it on Amazon. Perfect for the holidays. Uh, you don't know my life. So you can check that out. Also, I interview people about their lives, like a podcast, as another side business. It's called Lifecast. And if you've got older parents and you want to get their story down, we can do it over Zoom these days. It's an easy, painless, pleasurable way. People actually really enjoy it. And I find it really meaningful. So you can learn about that at getalifecast.com. All right. Thanks also to Oscar Rosario for mixing the episodes. My theme music is by Mark Daniels for Placement Music. We'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.